you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 1 Peter chapter number 2, 1 Peter chapter number 2. And uh, while you're turning there, let me say once again, thank you to the worship team leading us in those worship songs and preparing our hearts to receive from God's Word this morning. And we're going to continue in our series on 1 Peter. By the way, while you're turning there also, if you need the notes, just go ahead and raise your hand and uh, Brother Moses will get those to you and that way you can follow along and whatever the Holy Spirit leads you in or speaks to you about, you can write that in the notes. And, uh, and then go back and reference that throughout the week uh, as, you, uh, as you seek to apply God's Word in your life. First Peter, it's a letter about hope. We've been learning about this hope. In fact, we defined hope as the future glory of a life that is eternal and full of unrestrained joy with God. When we talk about the hope that First Peter is speaking about, In verse number three through verse number five, we see it defined rather clearly. It's a a future glory. The hope of the Christian is not in this world and in this life, but rather on a life that is to come. Now, we said that that, that Peter is, is writing to Christians that are going through trials, that are going through sufferings, that are going through difficulties. And so, Uh, The reason he focuses on hope is because it is hope that helps us get through the difficult times of life. It is hope that will get you through suffering in life. It is is the hope of this future glory that is ours, that has been given to us through salvation, uh, that really gives peace in the midst of storms. And we've been learning as Peter has been speaking on this hope and sharing uh, with those that he's writing to just how important this hope is, how this hope calls you to live differently and makes you different. Uh, We've learned how uh, hope has evidences of being real in our lives, and and it is something that others can see in us. And and hope is something that really is, is foundational for every Christian that wants to live the Christian life. We we must think about our hope. We must meditate upon this hope. We must grab on to this hope. We must uh, uh, never let go of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And so Peter's writing about this. But in the life of every Christian, in the life of people, there are times where a moment comes along that kind of defines you. There's probably something in your life that you can think back on and maybe that you've done and, and somebody's given you a nickname based on what you did, right? Maybe, maybe something that you did when you were in high school, uh, uh, maybe a, an experience that you had or you did something and it kind of defined you and now everybody that meets you from high school says, hey, weren't you the guy that, you know, and, and tells you whatever that, that thing was. And there's moments in our lives like that where we, we are defined by something we did or something we said. When we get closer to you know, election time, that, that's always a big thing, right? This is what they said. This is what they stand for. And, and both sides are kind of using that against one another. And, and, uh, and, and we try to take a moment to define someone. But that definition of what someone has defined us to be or that definition that others think of us when they hear our name doesn't always have to stay that way. In fact, you can redefine yourself in life. And many times people 
have had to do that. They've had to redefine who they are. Uh, we see this with businesses. Sometimes businesses are, are going bankrupt or something happens and they have to redefine themselves as a business, whether that means changing their logo or changing their colors or changing their mission statement. Uh, but they, they try to do something to redefine themselves. You know, anytime I think about this, I, I think of Alfred Noble. Uh, if you know a little bit of the story of Alfred Noble, he's the uh, founder of the Nobel Prize uh, winner or award. And, and uh, the story says that um, his brother passed away a few years before he did. And in an obituary that he was reading in a uh, French newspaper, uh, it, the, the person writing the obituary thought it was Alfred Noble. Alfred Noble was the scientist that invented dynamite. And of course, we know the power of dynamite and uh, th- what it can be used as to be destructive in different, in different ways. And by, by this time in uh, Alfred Noble's life, they've been using dynamite in warfare. And so it was known as a, a weapon that, that could be very destructive in war. And this newspaper columnist writing the obituary said of Alfred Nobel, finally, the merchant of death is gone and away and out of this world. Upon reading that, because he was still alive, the person, the columnist, didn't know that it was his brother that passed away, not Alfred. He began to think about his legacy. He began to think about, is that really how I'm defined? Am I known as the merchant of death? Is that what mark I want to leave on this world? And he decided that's not what he wanted to be defined as. So in an effort to redefine his life, he started the Nobel Prize, a prize that is awarded to people that uh, help in the furtherance of uh, our society to better it and in an effort to bring more peace to our world. And, and they have all these categories for the Nobel Prize, but uh, that, that is the legacy that he wanted to leave. And most people, when they hear the name Alfred Nobel, they don't really think about dynamite now. They think about the Nobel Peace Prize. He was able to redefine himself. In this chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter kind of talks about that. Now, I'm going to back up because we're going to read and study verse 9 and 10 this morning, but I want to back up so that we can refresh our memory and follow his train of thought. If you go back to chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse number 1, uh, Peter's talking about that last evidence of someone that has the hope of salvation within them, the hope of future glory. And one of those evidences is that sincere craving for the word of God. In fact, notice what he writes. He says, wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So we know he's talking about uh, those that have this hope will, will have a craving for the word of God. You'll, you'll desire it. Then as you go into verse number four, he starts to speak about the spiritual house and the hope that we build upon through our, uh, our connection with the church. To whom he says, coming, that is Jesus, as unto the living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up as Uh, a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, it is also contained in the scriptures, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, uh, elect and precious, 
And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. So in this building that we are to build upon our faith, he talks about the church and how we are as lively stones, Jesus, the living stone, the cornerstone, and we are built upon him because we have obeyed the truth. Now, what is involved in obeying the truth? Simply faith, right? Faith is believing what Jesus said is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, I give my life for you. Jesus gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins. So people that believe that, people that say, I've put my trust in Jesus, I've asked him to forgive me of of my sins and to be my savior, those have been now made lively stones building up their faith because they've been obedient. But the disobedient, in verse number seven, in verse number eight, Peter says, they're not, they rejected the stone, which is Jesus. And that same stone that could have been used to build them up is going to be the same stone that now is going to judge them and crush them. And that's how he ends in verse number eight saying, those that are disobedient will be appointed to judgment. And that stone that they've rejected, that they said, we don't want any part of, we don't want his salvation, we don't want his truth, we don't want his life, will now be judged by that stone and crushed by it. So now we jump into verse number nine and he changes gears a little bit and notice what he writes in verse number nine. That's what we're gonna study today, verse nine and 10. But ye, so now he's not talking about the disobedient. Now he's talking to the obedient again. But ye, these that are obedient, these are in Christ, these that have the hope. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What is Peter talking about? He's talking about how our faith, or our, our hope identifies us. There's a hope that leaves evidences for others to see. But now he's talking to those obedient and he's saying, look at your hope also identifies you. Your hope has redefined you. So this morning, I want to just share three identifying factors of our hope that change us. And number one is that our hope redefines us. It redefines us. Notice those that are obedient, verse number nine, but ye, different from those that are disobedient, but ye that are obedient, he says, we are chosen, chosen. Now, to be chosen is to be elect, and it's the same word that is used in verse number six to speak of Jesus. He is the elect and precious once again, you see how our hope brings us in relationship with Jesus. His, his holiness is now given to us. His righteousness is now placed upon 
us. The, the fact that he's a, a living stone makes us lively stones. You see how our, our, our hope puts us in this, in this uh, tie with Jesus, in this, in this relationship with Jesus where he shares. Listen, hope is future glory. The only one deserving of glory is God. In fact, he told, in, in Isaiah, he tells uh, the people of Israel, I will share my glory with no one else. The only one deserving of glory is Jesus, but yet Jesus is going to share his glory with us. That's what makes this hope amazing. Like, who does that? Jesus in his love and his mercy and his grace chooses to share his glory, to make us in partnership with him to be able to build off of him and off the hope that he's given us. We find that then those that are obedient are chosen. We are elect. Now, in verse number six, the word elect is describing, of course, Jesus. But now, in verse number nine, it's describing us. He's saying that that spiritual house that's being built upon this hope It's not only lively stones, but now you've become chosen, a chosen generation. Now, this is really interesting, and this is important for us to to understand and catch. We, We learned last week that in the Old Testament time of worship, there was priests and the temple and sacrifices. Peter used that to illustrate the church and what we do today. The temple no longer is a building that is erected in Jerusalem. It is us, those that have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Priests are no longer just the tribe of Levi in the nation of Israel, but now we have all been made priests. We are holy in our priesthood. We have been set apart for the priesthood. And then we are to sacrifice spiritual sacrifices, We talked about that last week with sacrificing of praise and sacrifice of good works and the sacrifices that are pleasing unto God in what we say and what we do. But now in verse number nine, he's continuing with that thought. He's continuing to say, now, God did that, that form of worship through the nation of Israel. In fact, In your notes, I put in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Listen to what God said to the people of Israel. He said, The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Notice there he says, I've chosen you. God told the people of Israel, you are my chosen people. And you're not my chosen people because you are like the greatest nation on earth. In fact, you're a bunch of slaves. I had to take you out of slavery from Egypt. But I did that because I loved you. And because I loved you, I chose you. Now, if you jump to the New Testament, you'll find that the hope that we have is not based on something we've done, but something that he did. And so, because he loved us, he gave himself for us. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that way, those that received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. See, his love was set upon us so that we could become chosen. So here's what Peter is saying. Israel was a chosen people in the Old Testament. But now, those that have the hope within them are the chosen generation. You're the chosen people. It's amazing to be reminded of this truth. Because we can get so caught up in what we do as Christians that we, we can start believing that we kind of deserve what we have. I mean, after all, God has to bless us. Doesn't he know how faithful I am to church? I mean, God has to bless me. Doesn't he know how much I give to, to his church? That's why Paul didn't say that we are to give because we owe. He said God blesses the cheerful giver, right? It's, it's, a, it's just a totally different perspective, Peter just reminds these Christians, listen, this suffering isn't because you've been bad. The trials that you go through isn't because you messed up and God is mad. No. Suffering sometimes comes into our life to just remind us of the hope that we have. To remind us that we're no different than anybody else. Just like the unbeliever suffers in this world because of sin, so does the Christian. I say this often, even Christians get cancer. Even Christians get in car accidents. Even Christians have to experience tragedies. Because the blessings we receive is not because of what we've done, it's because of what he's done. So going through suffering, that has nothing to do with how good we are, yet sometimes we, or how bad we are, sometimes we get that in our minds because we think good equals good things happening, almost like the, the idea of karma, right? You do good, I'm going to get good. I do bad, I'm going to get bad. No, 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 that's, that's not biblical. And all Peter is reminding them of those that are going through suffering and difficulties, the hope that you have makes you a chosen generation. Because God loves you. Because of God's grace in your life. Because of God's mercy in your life. You know, the Israelites forgot this in the Old Testament. If you study their history, you find that they stopped worshiping God. In fact, they started worshiping every other God but the God of the Bible. You find that they stopped walking in his ways. And that's why uh, the prophet Jeremiah said, you should stop and ask for the old paths and walk in them. Those old paths, what he was talking about, he was talking about there's a previous generation before you that was walking with God, that was worshiping God. Your ancestors used to do that, but you've gone so far away from it. They forgot that they were a chosen nation or a chosen people because God loved them. 
I would simply say to you and I this morning, let's not forget why we're a chosen people. The hope that we have was not earned. It was given. The hope that we have was not something that we had to buy or something we merited, but something that Jesus did on the cross because he loved us. So he says, you're a chosen generation. Then he says, a royal priesthood. In other words, we're royalty. Now this is the second time in like five verses that Peter talks about priests. In verse five, he says, we're a holy priesthood. In verse here, number nine, now we're a royal priesthood. Now there's a subtle difference here. If you notice in verse number five, he's talking about the work of the priest. It's a set apart work giving spiritual sacrifices. You're a holy priesthood. But here when he talks about a royal priesthood, the focus really isn't the work, but the whom of the work. When you were a royal priest, your work was similar to the regular priest, except that the one you were ministering to was the king. He was royalty. The focus of being a royal priest is different from being just a regular priest in the, in the Old Testament because a royal priest were those that would minister to the king that were in the royal court. They had some authority. They had some honor to it. You were, you were part of uh, the king's administration. And Peter brings that very idea into who we are now. How hope identifies us. It identifies us by saying you're a chosen generation because God loved you. He chose you. Those that are disobedient have been appointed unto judgment, but those that are obedient are appointed to life eternal, to joy, to future glory. You're a chosen generation, but he says, but you're also part of the royal priesthood. You're part of, of that priesthood that ministers to the king and for the king. Notice in Revelation chapter 20. This has yet to come to pass. But it will come to pass one day. It says blessed and holy. Is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And shall reign with him a thousand years. A royal priesthood. You see the honor that there is in reigning with him. Notice that Peter's not saying, right now you're going to experience what it is to be a royal priest. He's just saying, that's who you are, who your hope has made you to be. And Maybe in this world, they will, they will make you go through suffering, and maybe you'll have to go through martyrdom, or maybe you'll have to go through torture. But let me tell you, in the next life, after this first resurrection, the second death hath no power. And you shall be priests unto your God. And reign with him forever. A royal priesthood. Then notice that he says, thirdly, your chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. In other words, we are citizens. Today, nations are thought of as places with borders 
on their land, right? I mean, we, we think of the nation of the United States, and we think on the southern border, there's another nation called Mexico. On the northern border, there's another nation called Canada. And so anything in between that is the United States, and that's the nation of the United States. But Peter here has, doesn't have in mind a territory. He's not talking about borders or a certain land. Rather, he's talking about a people. A people that have a common citizenship. And that's why you can, you can be visiting in Mexico and you can visit into Europe and you might meet somebody that is an American citizen. They might be living there and temporarily they're there, yet their citizenship is the United States. Not because they live within a border, but rather because that's who they are. That's the nation they're a part of. And what's amazing about this is that Peter is saying, now, now there was a time where the nation of God was the Israelites. There was an ethnicity there that was specific to the people of God. But now... He's writing to Jews and Gentiles, and he's saying, if you have this hope, you're part of that nation. You're a citizen of that now. It's not just one certain group of people. No, no, no. All, all who have this hope are now a holy nation, a set-apart nation. This is the makeup of who the church is today. I mean, you can look around even in our congregation this morning. It's not just one race of people. We have different races of people. We have different backgrounds and different incomes. Our citizenship is not based on that. It's based on the hope that we've received. That's why in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, I like the way the New Living Translation translated this. It says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. That's what citizens do. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 and 10, and they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. This is what Peter is saying. Listen, this church that is building upon the hope that we've received. Verse 4 down to verse 8. There are some that are disobedient. They're not building on that. There are some that have rejected that cornerstone. But you that have accepted and have been obedient, you're a chosen generation. You're royalty because you have a royal priesthood. You're a citizen of a new holy nation, a nation that has been set apart. Notice Lastly, he says there in verse number nine, a peculiar people. In other words, we are God's possession. That word peculiar is the Greek word peripioisis, which means a purchased possession, something that is for oneself. Now, I put Exodus 19 in your notes because there was a time in the Old Testament when God saw Israel the way that Peter's describing the church now. Notice Exodus 19, now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. 
For all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. God was telling Moses, this is what I want you to tell them. They're going to be a kingdom of priests. They're going to be a, whole, a, a holy nation, and, and they're going to be a peculiar people. But they lost it. Notice verse 5 says, if they keep the covenant, which they didn't. And even when the Messiah came, they rejected him. You can see that in John chapter 1, in fact. But now Peter is saying, but now there's a new nation. And there's a new covenant. By the way, the word testament means covenant. There's an old covenant, an old testament. That's the covenant God had made with Israel. Then there's a new covenant covenant, a new testament that comes not through sacrifices and a priesthood, but through the blood of Jesus on the cross. You can read that in the book of Hebrews. And Peter builds on that to let us know today, now you're that generation. In this age in which we live, in this time and day, we're that chosen people. We have that royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, and we're a peculiar people. We are God's special possession. That's why one day he's coming back for us. We find that the identity of our hope is made up of being chosen and royal a nation, and being peculiar. I think it's important for us to understand this as we read. That in the context of this passage, Peter's not just talking to an individual, but he's talking to lively stones. Those that have been put together and built upon the hope. In other words, he's talking to the church. You want to read it this way. He's talking to Bethany Baptist Church. And you that are a member of this church, he's talking and telling you and me, this is is what your hope has identified you as. As someone that's chosen and different. That you're royalty and a citizen of a nation that's beyond this nation and greater than this nation. You're God's special possession. Why is Peter saying all this? Why is he re why is he defining why is he redefining who these people are that have believed? Well, some were coming from a Jewish background out of Judaism and and they had to understand that hey, it's no longer the people of Israel that is a chosen, but those that have part as of the of the living stone. Those that are building that spiritual house, those that have accepted that cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. You that are Jewish, you have to understand now those that are lively stones are the chosen generation. And to the Gentiles that are reading this, he's saying, listen, you're part of that. You don't have to be Israeli anymore or part of the nation of Israel to be a chosen people. You are a chosen people because you're a lively stone. Yeah, the kingdom of priests and the old covenant was Israel, but now you're the royal priesthood. Now, why does he say all that? What is he building up to? Because not only does our hope redefine us of who we are, but notice that our hope redirects us. 
So he says this, that ye should show forth the praises. Understand who you are so you can see how our hope redirects how we're to live. Notice he's talking about our purpose here. And it's directed to make known, make him known by declaring. You can underline something that's two words in the English language, show forth there at the end of verse number nine, but it's only one word in the Greek language. Exagelo. And it means to tell out or forth, to declare abroad, to publish. In other words, we're to share the hope that we have received. You that are chosen, you that are royal priesthood, you that are a holy nation, a peculiar people, you're to declare that. That's why it always strikes me funny when I hear somebody that says, man, I'm, I'm a person. I believe, I believe in Jesus. I believe the Bible. But, you know, I don't like to talk about it much. It's something really, really personal to me. I think, huh? I don't like to talk too much about my faith. You know, politicians say that all the time. And I can tell you about 99% of the time it's because they have no faith. But, 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 but they'll try to say that. And, and listen, any Christian that says that, I, I start to question, do you really have the hope living within you? Because those that have the hope know we are a chosen, yes. Yeah, there's a royal priesthood, yes. We're a peculiar people that we might show forth, that we might declare, that we might publish that we might show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light to make it known. That's why Matthew 5, 16, Jesus told his disciples, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. Jesus didn't tell that to the Roman Empire. He didn't tell that to the leaders of Israel. He didn't tell that to the high priest that was working in the temple. He told that to his followers. Let your light so shine. I'm sure Peter had some, some of that thought in his mind as he's writing to these Christians who are suffering. Many of them suffering for that very reason. Because <laughs> they're letting their light shine. And he's telling them, listen, that's what peculiar people do. That's what a chosen generation does. It shows forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness. We're to make him known by declaring him. There's a second truth connected with that, and that is that we are to make him known to those in darkness. We're to sing praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. If we're declaring that to others, it's because others are in darkness and they need the light. If you read in the gospel of John, there in the first chapter, in verse number six, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. That light is Jesus Christ. And John was there proclaiming Jesus he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. In other words, 
John was proclaiming, declaring to people that were in darkness who that light was. The apostle John says of John the Baptist, he wasn't that light, but he declared and talked of that light. Peter is saying, if you have that hope, you are that light. Because you've come out of darkness into his marvelous light. So who you're declaring that to? To those that are still in darkness. Because that's what our hope does. It redirects us. Let me give you the last thing that our hope does. It not only redefines us and redirects us, but if you looked in verse number 10, you'll see that our hope redeemed us. This is his final thought with this. Peter gives us this, this final little nugget of truth. We're reminded once again that we're God's people. Now, as we've already seen in Exodus 19, God used that for the people of Israel. They were his people, and you can read that in Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Ezekiel. They would always talk about Israel as God's people. But now Peter is saying, we are God's people. We have that special purpose. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 23, notice what the prophet Hosea said. He said, I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that hath not obtained mercy, and I will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. Hosea was prophesying about the Gentiles there. God had told the prophet Hosea, look, there's going to come a time where Israel will no longer be my people for a short window. By the way, Israel still has a, God still has a plan for Israel. And when the church is no longer here, that plan will unfold and he will, he will fulfill all his promises because God doesn't make a promise and not keep it. So all the Old, Old Testament promises, Israel will one day have. In fact, we see them coming, coming to fruition slowly. 1948, they became a nation and, and God's plan with the people of Israel is going to move forward. But for a window... The window that we're in living in right now, it's the church that is God's people. It's the church that God says, you're my chosen. You're my royal priesthood. You're the ones that are going to declare the light in the darkness. Because I redeemed you. Because now you are my people. You weren't before the Gentiles listening to this could agree. Yeah, we weren't there, his people. But now we're his people. And then notice that we've received mercy when before we did not. We have God's favor in our life. There was a time when mercy flowed through the people of Israel. They were supposed to, to show mercy and show God to the other nations that didn't know God. But instead of doing that, they started following what those nations were doing. Those nations have a king. We want a king. Man, those, those nations, they worship this God named Baal. I think we're going to worship him too. You know, I, I've noticed that the other religions, they put up an, an idol and, you know, I think we should have a calf. When the kingdom is divided, they begin to say, here's the calf, Jeroboam said, that brought you out of Israel. There's the God that you ought to worship. And slowly, they begin to drift away. And now God said, well, the church is not. 
By the way, we should learn from history. We ought to be careful to not let the gods of this world detract us from what our purpose is. You know, like the God of money or the God of fame or success that sometimes wants to move us away from, from who we are, from what our hope has made us to be, where our hope has redirected us in our life. Let me tell you something. If you're not living for the next life, then you're wasting your life as a Christian. It's a waste. You're living for something that ain't going to matter in a million years. Heck, it won't even matter in 70 years. That's why I love the poem from C.T. Studd, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. The hope has redeemed us. It's made us God's people. It's given us mercy when we had no mercy. So this morning, we see how hope has identified us. It's redefined who we are. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. So I guess we've got to ask ourselves, are we aware of who we are? I mean, if I could ask it this way, did last week reflect who you are? The way you lived last week, the way you identified yourself, does it really reflect who you are, who your hope has made you to be? But hope also redirects us. So then I would have to ask myself, what direction was I moving this past week? What direction was reflected in my life? But hope has also redeemed us. And I would say, if you're here this morning and you've not received the mercy of God and you've not received the grace of God to become part of the people of God, and I want to encourage you, make that decision today. I'm telling you, there's no better nation that you want to be a part of. I know we, we live in a nation that God has blessed greatly that people from all over the world are wanting to come to our nation. And if they have to break the law to get in here, they'll do it. Because they say the American dream, look at what we could have, look at the better future that we could have. I love being in a nation like that. We're very fortunate to be in the nation that we have. But listen, there's a, there's a nation that's way better than this nation. One that's not corrupt and one that has no pain. One that's absent of death. That is the nation of God. If you're not part of that, man, this morning, make a decision to be part of that. Come to Christ. Come to the living stone and receive that hope for yourself. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. This morning, it's been wonderful to be reminded of the hope that we have and how it identifies us. In fact, we've been redefined in our life. Who we were before that hope came into our lives is not who we are now.
what we were living for isn't where we're directed to live now. We've been redirected to a life that is selfless, to a life that has a different goal and a different purpose. And Father, I pray that we would be living, going in that direction. And Father, I pray that if there be any here this morning that have not received Christ as their Savior, that have not obtained that mercy, that are not a people of God, would make that decision this morning to receive Christ as their personal Savior. This morning, as our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, I want to start with that quick invitation. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, Pastor? I've never received Jesus as my personal Savior. You're talking about being a, a holy nation or being God's people. Then to be honest, I, I have to say that I don't, I don't think I'm part of God's people. But I'd like to be. I do recognize that I am a sinner. I need to be forgiven. And the only way to be part of God's people is through Christ. And I'd like Christ to forgive me and be my Savior. Pastor, would you pray for me? That's the decision I want to make this morning. Is there someone like that? Just raise their hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I, I want to be part of God's people. I need that forgiveness. I need that mercy. Is there anyone like that? Then perhaps this morning you'd say, Pastor, I am a Christian. But you know, my life's not been really living the purpose of a chosen generation and a holy priesthood. I really haven't been living according to what I really am with this hope. Pastor, would you just pray for me for the decisions that I make throughout this week that I would be living and building on the hope that I've received? Would you just pray for me? Is there anyone like that? Just raise your hand. Say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else? God bless you. I see that hand. Amen. Amen. Father, this morning... I pray that you would help us to meditate upon what we've heard and read in your word. They're not just ordinary words, but as Peter once said, they are the words of eternal life, the words of truth. And so, Father, I pray that as we meditate upon what they say, what they mean, that we would, that we would apply them into our lives, and that we would live what they say and hold on to what they mean. This hope would be a hope that that gets us through times of sufferings and trials and tribulations. Help us to be a peculiar people today. Your chosen generation. Help us to live according to who we are. Be with us, I pray, this week. In Jesus' name.